0: Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you for joining me for this episode of officially the 37th most popular UK True Crime Podcast. Ignore what Spotify say. Today's story is from Essex and is a familiar one on this podcast, Perception versus Reality. What others see is really the true story. And a huge thank you to one listener who has chosen to stay anonymous who was able to give me so much background information on this story. I have a special Christmas stroke New Year prize for Patreon supporters, and I will announce winners on the 1st of January. Join me here in Edinburgh, where I will treat you and a friend or partner to lunch or dinner at one of the best restaurants in the city on a day of your choice in 2021. Or if you prefer, or you have no plans to come to Edinburgh next year, I will send you the three best true crime books I have read in 2021. Just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime to be in the chance of winning. And remember, there is still two months free membership available just until the end of this month. And a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Monique Stone, Dave Simpson and Sarah Johnson. Thank you so much for your support. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 2020 has been a tough year for all of us and many of us are struggling in certain parts of our lives. For me, it's been finding the right balance between spending time at work and with family and worrying that I'm failing in both. Whatever is interfering with your happiness, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. To be clear, it's not self-help. It's professional counselling in a safe and private online environment. So no more sitting in those unwelcoming waiting rooms. And you don't want to wait around once you've made the decision to go ahead. So you can start tomorrow and you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions and you can contact your counsellor anytime. What's more, it's more affordable than traditional offline counselling and it's available worldwide. BetterHelp want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener to this podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com/uk. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com/uk. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Have you played this game yet? I might only be on level 91 but I already love Best Fiends as it's a casual game that you can just play when you have a few minutes free. I play it when I'm waiting to pick my children up from various activities. It's great as you don't need internet connection. I played earlier today for 20 minutes when I was waiting to pick my dog up from the vet. Socially distanced of course in the waiting room. I really enjoy the challenging puzzles and the gameplay is awesome with amazing characters who you collect during the game, and who can be used strategically later on. Like me, I guarantee you will love the vibrancy of the colour quality of the game design, which is always a huge deal for me. So why not come and join me on Best Fiends? Engage your brain with fun puzzles, and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Let's set some context for today's story and see if you can guess the month and the year. Number one was Girls Aloud with Sounds of the Underground. Keeping those titans of rock, the cheeky girls, from the top spot with the cheeky song, brackets, touch my bum, close brackets. Top of the US singles chart was Eminem with Lose Yourself and in the Australian album charts, top spot was Let Go by Avril Lavigne. In the news this month, rock musician Pete Townsend of The Who was arrested in London on suspicion of possessing indecent images of children. He was later cleared. A bushfire killed four people and destroyed more than 500 homes in Canberra, Australia. Shoe bomber Richard Reed was sentenced to life in prison for attempting to bomb an American Airlines flight with 197 people on board and one of the longest prison sentences ever issued in a British court for a motoring offence was given to killer driver Ian Carr. He received a nine and a half year sentence for causing death by dangerous driving, his second conviction for the crime in 12 years. So did you get the month of the year? It was January 2003. Yep, it was that long ago. Today's story comes from Pitsy, a small town in Essex near Basildon, Basildon, sorry, about halfway between London and Southend. It has produced a surprising amount of global superstars, including Mick Jack, sorry, I mean Scott Robinson from Five. When we pick up today's story in 2003, 22-year-old Jonathan Dorr lived in Pixie with his 21-year-old girlfriend, Kim Banyard. In his life, Jonathan Dorr had been the envy of many. He was a popular, good-looking guy, with lots of chat, and he was great at sport. You knew someone like this at school, right? He was a footballer, and he played in goal, and he was good, he was very good. So much so that he was an associate schoolboy with Norwich in 1997-98, before having stints as a schoolboy with West Ham, QPR and the England under-15s before injury ended his career. You can imagine the kind of worship he received at school for those achievements. And there was more. He was a genuine hero. When he was 10, he was out on his bike with his dad, Stephen, and his 8-year-old sister, Elizabeth, when his sister lost control of her BMX bike and she fell into the River Lee at Carpenters Lock in Stratford. If you know the area, you'll know that the water's a good 15 feet below the level of the bank, and although Stephen jumped in the water to calm down his daughter Elizabeth, neither could get out because the bank was a straight vertical drop. Jonathan reacted quickly. He pulled out nearby fencing staves that were connected by wire and used this to make a ladder to rescue his sister and dad. And he was always protective about his sister Elizabeth, who'd been a premature baby, weighing just over £4 when she was born. And in 1989, Jonathan and Elizabeth raised more than £1,000 in the sponsored swim for Hackney Children's Hospital and the intensive baby care unit at Newham General Hospital in Plasto, the very unit which helped Elizabeth survive. The hero, the footballer Jack the Lad, this was the image he liked to portray. And Jonathan was certainly popular with the cool kids at school, and never short of girlfriends. But not everyone that he knew growing up saw him in such flattering ways. He was a bit of a bully at school to some of the children. He was genuinely nasty to some. He almost saw them as beneath him. And he was incredibly arrogant, and always used to getting his own way whatever the situation but when he lost his potential career as a professional footballer at an early age, he had to adapt to the new reality that he was facing. Jonathan got on with life and began working as a painter decorator. Okay, the money arguably isn't quite as lucrative as a footballer, but he was good at his job, he was hard-working, and it gave him the freedom to work the hours that suited him. He had a very active social life and was often out of a whole variety of friends. He wasn't short of girlfriends, but he hadn't met anyone special. But then in the autumn of 2001, he met and started dating Kim. This was different for him. Kim was different. She was a lovely person. Very popular too, with a wide circle of friends and loads of personality. The couple bought a house in Pitsy the following February, and they seemed to be very happy with life. Shortly afterwards, Kim became pregnant and gave birth to their son, Jake, on the 25th of October, 2002. As you will know if you have children, this is a big change for a couple, but Jonathan and Kim seem to be coping well, and by Christmas 2002, all seemed perfect in their world. But as we have discussed so many times on this podcast, perception and reality are often quite different. What really happens in the lives of those people we know who live the perfect lives on social media is often very, very different to the image they portray. And there were big cracks appearing in the lives of Kim, Jonathan and Jake. Jonathan still saw himself as, and I quote from one of his friends, a bit of a ladies' man. Seriously, I thought and hoped that sort of expression died in the 70s, but clearly not. He still wanted to go out drinking and having fun, and frankly, he was tiring of the responsibilities of fatherhood. As you will know if you have had children or been around young children, it's a very strange time when your personal needs come a very clear second, sometimes for the first time in your life. It also changed his relationship with Kim, with this other human being in the house who needed to be loved and cared for. And Kim too is a new mum she needed his help and support for these difficult initial few months. But she didn't get that support she so desperately needed. And in addition to this, there was also the added financial pressures on the couple, which increased with the cut in Kim's salary due to maternity leave and all the extra costs that a baby brings. Many couples soon come to terms with their new situation and make the necessary adjustments. But Jonathan... He was selfish, he was used to getting his own way and he was determined to carry on living on his own terms. And on the 28th of December, Jonathan went out partying at a nightclub with his mates where he met a 30-year-old receptionist called Nicola. Jonathan was instantly blown away with this new woman and the two quickly began an affair. Although to Nicola, she didn't see it as an affair as Jonathan had omitted a few details about his life He'd forgotten to tell her the full story about his status, telling Nicola that he was single too. The relationship developed quickly and almost immediately they began to make plans for their future, their future together. Kim wasn't part of this new future that Jonathan had planned. And rather than celebrating the year that the couple had shared, on New Year's Eve, Kim was left at home with Jake as Jonathan headed out to spend time with Nicola and he only returned home to Kim at 9am on January the 4th. Kim was beside herself at how Jonathan was behaving. She'd hoped he would be also very different. There was a huge argument when he finally made it home, and Jonathan showed a particularly nasty side to his character, when he threatened to punch Kim, complaining that she had sent text messages calling him a bad father and a bastard. He was aggressive and nasty, telling Kim, you're getting too mouthy. You know what will happen if you keep going. Nice. But Jonathan was an arrogant man, as we've seen, and he was openly speaking to his friends at this time, saying that he was fed up of being with Kim and it was time for him to move on. He also bragged regularly about the women he met and would have sex with. Kim was a bright woman and she knew there were big issues with the relationship. But what Kim could never have realised is that in Jonathan's mind, Kim was a problem that needed to be eliminated so he could start a new life with his new girlfriend. And he'd already decided that the only way he was going to be able to do this was to remove her permanently from his life. And he began making plans to kill Kim. It was Kim's 22nd birthday on January the 9th. And tragically, she didn't live to midnight on her birthday, with Jonathan killing her shortly after they returned from a friend's house where they'd been celebrating her birthday that evening. Jonathan murdered Kim in the bedroom of the house that they shared in Pitsy. The post-mortem would later show that Kim had been strangled and struck on the head with repeated blows with a heavy blunt object which was likely to have been a hammer. As there were no signs of self-defence, it is likely that Kim was strangled first before she was attacked. There's something to me about being killed in your own bedroom that I always find particularly shocking. If your house is your safe haven for all the chaos that we face daily in the world, then the bedroom is the inner sanctum where you should always be safe and secure. Jonathan was very close to his parents and he contacted them to say what had happened and that he needed their help to dispose of the body. Imagine making that call. Somewhat surprisingly, they were happy to help their son, as they adored Jonathan, and also because they'd utterly despised Kim. Jonathan moved quickly, and within 18 hours of killing Kim, he prepared a grave for her, a few miles from his parents' home, on some wasteland near a business complex in Bow, East London. Jonathan's dad Stephen was a scout and a swimming coach as well as a community fundraiser, the pillar of the local community. And yet hours after Kim had been brutally murdered, he was helping his son industrially clean the house in Pitsy before wrapping up Kim's body in two green bin bags. Let's just pause and consider the reality of that. Father and son cleaning up after the murder of Kim they make small talk, listen to music, whilst being involved in such a gruesome act? The plan they hatched was to make it seem as though Kim had left Jonathan and Jake, so the two began covering up the murder by leaving a false trail of phone messages and they opened her email and postal mail and texts to make it seem that she was still alive. Then on the 11th of January, under the cover of darkness, the two men loaded Kim's body into the boot of Jonathan's VW Golf and set off for the burial site. Somewhat gruesomely, the grave was too small for the body, so Jonathan had gone out that day to buy an axe to chop Kim up, and they also took three kitchen knives to help them with this brutal act. But the two men were out of luck. They'd parked and were about to bury Kim when a police car with two policemen on a routine patrol came across the father and son as they were lifting Kim's body out of the boot of the car to put into the freshly dug shallow grave. This was clearly incredibly suspicious, and the two officers approached the father and son. One asked what was in the bag, to which Stephen joked, It's a body if you open it. Jonathan hoped this humour would be enough for the officers to leave, but that wasn't the case. They were going nowhere. And as the police officers looked like they were going to look inside the bag, both father and son made a run for it. Of course, they were never going to get far, and Stephen was caught in a matter of minutes nearby, with Jonathan being arrested near his parents' house hours later. As we know in true crime, sometimes criminals get lucky, look at Bundy, and sometimes they don't. And as someone who strongly values our police force, I do like to give them credit whenever possible. However, I guess it wasn't the most difficult piece of police work, with the body being loaded in a bag beside an open grave in the dead of night. When he was taken into custody and questioned by detectives, Jonathan was still the macho Jack the Lad that he'd been all his life. He told detectives it was all Kim's fault. He claimed that Kim had tried to stab him in a jealous rage, after finding a sexual text message on his mobile phone. He'd done all he could to defend himself, and yes, he had killed her, but it was only in self-defence, as Kim was coming at him with a knife. If he hadn't done anything, Jonathan said he believed he'd have been the one who had lost his life that evening. He continued to provide more details, saying he'd hit her on the head with a hammer when Kim had seen texts from Nicola. He said he'd just been putting Jake to bed, when Kim attacked him, adding, The hammer was there, and I hit her with the hammer twice. That didn't stop her, and she was still coming towards me, so I hit her a third time. As I walked back from the baby's bedroom, that was when Kim first came screaming at me, saying, I'm going to kill you. You've been cheating on me. She took a lunge at me with a knife, and I tried to block it, and it cut my hand. At first he said he just tried to restrain him, and then he reached out for the hammer, which was handily within his grasp, as he'd been using it to put up a clock. After he'd hit Kim with the hammer for the third time, he claimed that he realised then that she was seriously injured. He checked her pulse, and he found that she was dead. I couldn't think straight at all, he said. It was just shock, just panic. Someone you've been with this long, you love her to bits, and you cannot believe what has happened. It was then, in a desperate panic, that he called his dad for help. Jonathan was used to getting his own way, but investigators didn't believe his account of events for a moment, and Jonathan Dor was charged with Kim's murder. The trial took place at the Old Bailey in London, and Dor pleaded not guilty to murder. At the conclusion of the trial, the jury unanimously found him guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison. His dad, Stephen, pleaded guilty to the in the course of justice and was jailed for five years. There were mixed emotions in court as the verdicts were announced, with Dawes showing no emotion, as the verdict was read out, but relatives of both families couldn't hide their feelings. There were loud cheers from Kim's family as they welcomed the guilty decision while Daw's mum and sister gasped in shock. Some members of the jury broke down in tears. Maybe the Jonathan Daw mask slipped as he was taken down to the cells. On the way, he made a point of stopping to grin smugly in the direction of Kim's dad, Paul. Paul Banyard was, of course, absolutely disgusted and said outside court, he is evil. Because of him, Kim's little boy, who's about to have his first birthday, will grow up and eventually be told that his mum was brutally killed by his dad. Kim was so loved by her family and friends and enjoyed the happiness that came of being part of a loving family. Jonathan Doar appealed his sentence. The court heard that he had made, and I quote, exceptional and unforeseen progress during his time in prison. Once more he had been a hero, twice saving his cellmate from taking his own life. And despite not having first-hand knowledge himself of substance abuse, he had helped many others by providing support on his prison's drug rehabilitation unit. But although the judge gave him credit for these factors, it did not alter what he had done. He upheld the 16-year sentence, adding that had he been sentenced today, he might have got even longer. Dorr will only be freed at the end of his term, if he can convince the parole board that he is no longer a danger. Jonathan Dor again made headline from behind bars when it was revealed that a 26-year-old prison warder was suspended for having sex with him in the prison after he got a job as a cleaner. The warder was ordered home for fraternising with the prisoner and Dor lost his privileges. An insider was quoted in the Mirror newspaper saying, Dore fancies himself as a stud and basically chatted up the warder. But she wasn't exactly backward in coming forward either. Dor had reasonable freedom of movement around the jail because of his job, which made the fling a lot easier. It's the talk of the prison. So there we have Dorr again, still the ladies' man. So what do you make of what we've heard today? What do you make of Gore's dad, who quite happily helped his son clean the crime scene, An attempt to bury the body. I wonder how many people would do that for their children, not too many, I would imagine. Can you picture that scene when they were caught by the police? What a gruesome, macabre sight it must have been. And Dor, showing the same complete lack of respect for Kim in death, that he showed her in life. In a way, when he was growing up, Jonathan Dor was the person who seemed to have it all. The cards of life all appeared to have fallen in his favour. But when for the first time he couldn't get exactly what he wanted, he was arrogant enough to believe he could get away with murder. And his poor girlfriend, poor Kim, murdered at just 22, for no reason at all. And if he wanted a single life or a new girlfriend, he could have left Kim, right? There was no need for murder, and to take away all Kim's dreams for the future. So Dawn might be out of prison very, very soon. I wonder if he will be released, and if so, how he will get on in the new world that he finds himself. I can't help thinking of that horrible, smug grin that he gave Kim's family as he was found guilty in court. Will he have changed, I wonder? But of course today we finish on what really matters, which is that Kim's son, other family and friends, are left with an empty void in their lives where Kim should be. We could all feel their pain. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group. And don't forget that CrimeCon is coming to London in June. And to get your discounted ticket, search CrimeCon UK and use the discount code UKTC. I'll even throw in a bag of goodies at the event. And to support the show and to claim your prize of lunch or dinner with me in Edinburgh or my favourite true crime books from this year just get yourself over to You'll get all the bonus episodes and the other behind the scenes stuff and there's still a year subscription with two free months from as little as £20. Come and join the fun That is patreon.com slash UK true crime. So it's all for me for this week. I've been trying to think of a few more slogans for my show. How about this one? Spend some time with Adam. He's got the time to describe the crime. What do you think? Think it's going to catch on? (laughs) Gosh. No, I don't either. Awful. Anyway, on that unfunny bombshell... That's it for this week. So, until we speak in on Tuesday or Monday evening at the live episode recording, if you're one of my friends on Patreon, please do take it easy and, most of all, stay classy. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.